Hello, beautiful people, and welcome, or welcome back, to the Lady Parts Podcast. I'm your host, Nika Dean, or just Nika for short, and I'm excited for you to join us this week. So, as many of you know, we have been switching things up and releasing some of our quarantine episodes. These are essentially episodes that were recorded earlier in the year, so the microphone quality on this intro might sound a little bit different than what you'll hear in the meat and potatoes of the episode. I would also like to start off by sharing a quote that I feel really mirrors the message in today's episode. My mother told me to be a lady, and for her, that meant be your own person, be independent. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This week, I had the pleasure of being in conversation with Dua Rahman. Dua is a life coach for Muslim women, and I adore the idea that she is making space for her community and really allowing access to a service that sometimes doesn't always reflect the communities that it serves. Um, she's also a healer and bodywork connoisseur. Dua is an incredible writer, and I strongly encourage you to go check out her Instagram page. Um, she's also a teacher and has classes teaching the Quran. So if any of that interests you, please be sure to check the show notes and see all the things that Dua offers. Um, in fact, you can find her at All Things Dua. Um, that's All Things D-O-A. This week is part of a three-part special. Um, Today's episode is actually the longest episode I've ever recorded, but that's because there was just so much like gold to capture throughout the conversation. This first part really touches on culture, identity, colorism, colonization, and authenticity. Essentially, we're talking about forging your own path and making sure that the past and the present work harmoniously for the future. Part two will be about marriage, depression, and divorce, and navigating all of those things while not sacrificing parts of yourself in the process. And part three is the journey back to self-love. So I hope you all are excited to listen to it as I was to um, have the honor of navigating this conversation with Doa. I thank her so much for sharing her story, for her openness and vulnerability, and trusting me to share it with all of you. Um, I do think it'll be great for anyone who is, you know, creating new paths and traditions outside of what their culture dictates, who is contemplating or recently divorced, or folks who are on their own healing journeys. Even if none of that applies, I'm sure there's something in there that will speak to you. But for now, check the show notes for more information. If you want to connect with me, you can always find me at helloladyparts at gmail.com. That email address again is helloladyparts, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, either at ladypartspodcast or my personal IG at lovelyquills. But until next time, enjoy the episode, reach out stay safe, and embrace all your parts. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Lady Parts Podcast. I'm really excited to bring a very special guest to the podcast this week. 
please join me in welcoming Dua Rahman. Dua, are you there? Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here this week. Thank you for having me. So, so everybody, we met on Bumble BFF. Uh, Bumble, please hit me up if you want to sponsor my podcast. <laughs> But yeah, guys. (laughs) So one of the reasons I bring this up is because, like Doa mentioned, uh, Doa, sorry, like Doa mentioned, um, the nature of these apps is that you kind of meet people and then you kind of ghost people unintentionally, but it happens, right? Because our day-to-day lives get in the way. Uh, One night I was perusing Instagram and came across this dope page of amazing writing. And lo and behold... The girl that was riding it looked super familiar, and I probably felt like it probably felt like I was low key stalking you. Because no. <laughs> I already knew who you were. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, I went through a lot of your posts, and it was just so inspirational. And I was like, I want more of this. This is great. And um, I reached out, and we were like, You look familiar, and it just so happened to be Dua. So um, <laughs> super excited about that just say that to sprinkle some inspiration in there for any of y'all that might be introverted or you know thinking of ways to reach out and make new connections sometimes if you put yourself out there um and you send out good vibes good people will come into your orbit um so thank you Dua for (laughs) coming into my orbit thank you for coming into mine um I like meaningful connection is really important to me, you know, um, and I've been in the process of um, being sort of intentional about who is around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why I joined Bumble BFF because I was like, I want to be able to have like positive, um, strong women in my life. I wanted to create community and have like intimacy in my relationships. And just like, it sometimes those those people aren't found like your people aren't found in um you know in your workspace or in the places that you normally go to and so you know if if relationships can be something that's found on um (laughs) on an app I think um friendships are even you know better and I've had I've had like good success on Bumble BFF. Like I've actually met like amazing women. It's really cool. That's great. Um, I think I've met two. <laughs> um, granted, I'm not like I I was not very consistent because I joined the app before everything that happened with the whole fibroid situation. So perhaps not the best timing. Um, Mm. but I am very grateful for the two amazing women that I have met. Obviously you're included in that. Um, and I totally agree with you. I think, you know, as, as much as we see the folks that we work with on a day to day, it's hard to be fully vulnerable with them sometimes too, because it's not always safe to do that in work environments. Um, and it's nice to go out and find those connections that are very genuine and not saying work connections can't be genuine, but those that intimacy that we need to be able to thrive and um yeah really build meaningful connections and foundations with people exactly um I actually met um one girl um it was it was also the same kind of thing where we like 
were talking for like a year, but then randomly she messaged me on Instagram and she was like, um, let's meet up. (laughs) And we like met up that same day. And, um, as we were talking, we found that we had like very similar life stories. We had so much in common and it was just really interesting. And then after like an hour, we both realized we're both Aries and I was like, when's your birthday? And she told me her birthday and I was like, okay, I'm legit about to cry. <laughs> she was like, why? I was like, you won't believe me, but we have the exact same birthday. <laughs> and like, we had to like pull out our license plates and we're like, oh my God. I'm not our license plates, our driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> and we're both like screaming. We're like cosmic twin. So now we call each other cosmic twin. Awesome. But yeah, it's, it's amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. I wish we did have driver's licenses that we could just pull out. That seems super fun. I want to be pull out my license plate from my back pocket. Hell yeah. I want to be part of that elite club. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. Well, so, I mean, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you, but I'm sure my listeners would love to learn a bit more about you. So, Doa, Doa, my gosh, I keep messing up. (laughs) It's okay. Me and uh, Nika and I were having a conversation right before we started filming this about how like I've struggled with um, with my own name basically and how it's so funny and like basically she's been calling me Doa throughout our whole friendship and then today I was like oh by the way call me Doa on your podcast so that's why she's struggling <laughs> so it's it's uh you know in her in her defense um it's totally fair I, I'm struggling with my own name so that's why um it's new to her as well basically my my parents named me Dua um because um my parents were both born in uh, my, my dad was actually born in India my mom was born in Pakistan and they came here in the 70s um so I'm first generation American and then when I started school I think people just read the uh, the way that my name was spelled D-O-A and um, they started calling me Doa and I just kind of went with it because as a kid, I just assumed they couldn't pronounce my name. Um, and then fast forward to like 30 years later and I was like, wait, <laughs> uh, that's not my name. <laughs> um, and um, then deciding that, okay, maybe I should actually just go by Doa, but then still struggling because I've known myself as Doa for so long as well and introduced myself as Doa. And so um, even if I intend that I'm going to introduce myself as Doa, Doa is what literally rolls off my tongue. And then I'm like, no. (laughs) And and it's just one of those things that's really awkward to correct. (laughs) Um, Like, actually, I don't know my name. Actually, what is my name? (laughs) Sorry. Um. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I was actually chatting with Dua before this recording and, you know, this all came about, which I think was really beautiful. I think we talked about, you know, just reclaiming your identity and reclaiming your name. And as women of color, um, I mean, I should say people of color because I don't know if there are some men of color listening to this. Um, But yes, as people of color, there are so many instances if we have names that are considered ethnic or what have you that people butcher them and after a while it's easier to let them give you a nickname or change your name or what have you and lean into that rather than correct them but there's Mm -hmm. also so much power and strength in reclaiming it and saying no this is what my name is this is what my identity is 
and in order to recognize me and to um, give me the respect that I deserve, you have to, I don't know if it's uncomfortable for people, but that could be one way, right? Like you have to get uncomfortable or you have to learn or you have to widen, you know, your perspective to see me instead of changing me to fit your narrow perspective. Exactly. Like it feels like um, you're causing the discomfort by correcting someone, Mm -hmm. um, but really like the way that I thought started to think about it was, you know, if somebody introduced themselves to me and said like, Hey, my name's like John Smith. And I was like, okay, cool. Jane Brown. Like, <laughs> and continue, like that's really rude. And I would never do that to someone. And I kind of want so, to like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like any person that, like that has respect, like, you know, if they respect you, um, they should, try to understand how to pronounce it like if they're if they're nervous to get it wrong they should be like oh is that correct and you should be able to you know versus them just like randomly giving you a name and that and like expecting that you're supposed to run with that um mm-hmm. yeah and then it just follows us throughout our lives where there's this like um fear of taking up space and of saying what's right and what's wrong and of standing up for things like it starts with the, these minor things that seem minor mm-hmm. and then yeah I wholeheartedly agree. Oh, there's so much room to get into a whole different conversation right now. <laughs> and we will. Like, I, I fully intend on having Duo back in the future because there's a lot that I think we can meaningfully dive into. Um, but I will restrain myself for now. <laughs> um, but yes, I'd love if you can maybe share a little bit more Um so Dua, uh, who, who are you and how do you identify and what are you passionate about? Um, so I identify as she, her. Um, I love that um, you include what you're passionate about in this question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a struggle for me, I think, like at anywhere that I've been asked like very basic questions so so literally every basic question in life is a struggle for me like what's your name starting from what's your name to how are you because I never want to say fine (laughs) it's always way more nuanced than that but I'm like I don't think you actually want to know the answer Uh, and then to who are you to what do you what do you do like all of these questions that have always been like painful for me um so that's why meaningful connection um it's just been so important to me um I think just the question of like who we are and like who we need to show up as in the world um, is just something that's often so dictated by things that just don't matter to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Like how much money you make or, you know, um, just a lot of when people ask you like, what do you do? You know, it's beautiful when people want to know if, if it's related to your passion and what your passion is. But a lot of times um, it feels like a, you know, a competition or like a beauty pageant where everyone's sort of comparing, Oh, well, I have five houses and three kids and I have, you know? Um, So I think for me, I'm Pakistani American Muslim. um, And I think much to the what's the word 
I don't know, disappointment maybe <laughs> of my parents uh, because I think my parents would like love to be able to like put me put me in like a you know a labelable thing to present to their <laughs> to their community when they introduce me. <laughs> um, I think that's part of my privilege, like part of the gift that my parents gave me um, by coming to this country is that I've just been on a journey of self-discovery um, and I've had like that freedom to do that you know, changing my major like 50 times in college um, and just like kind of taking the classes that I wanted to take, learn what I wanted to learn, moving to different places, um, learning different languages. I think (laughs) all my experiences just led me to more experiences and just more questions in the end. (laughs) So I'm also um, INFP on the Myers-Briggs. So I think that would explain a lot of oh why I'm answering the question the way that I'm answering it. Idealism. I am also an INFP. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's, I think it's truly insightful. And what really rings true to me or what um, stands out to me rather is that you're, you're, you're really a student of the world and it seems like you want to soak up as much as you can, whether it is in traditional knowledge or actual experiences or what have you. But it seems like there's a thirst to understand and like not on the surface level of like, I know all the things, <laughs> mm-hmm. but to connect with things as much as you do with people. So that's 100%. great. Yeah, I think like not learning and connection mm-hmm. are probably my two greatest passions. All right, wonderful. So let's do something that has become a little bit of a tradition. What does the term lady parts evoke for you? Yeah, I think it's a fabulous name. Um, <laughs> the, what, what comes to mind is how, you know, as children were taught, um, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, you know, these anatomy things, and we're never taught, you know, and this is your vagina. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and unknowingly, like, at that age, like, I had no clue, you know, I didn't think about this. But, but then what happens is like, then that's the part that shall never be spoken about. (laughs) That just, that's just what ends up happening when you're labeling everything else. (laughs) Voldemort the vagina. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) She that shall never be named. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, children that go through, um, you know, any kind of sexual abuse, yeah, then they don't even know how to define um, what happened to them or where it happened or what the person touched. So I like that. And I also like that there's a double entendre. Um, So there's like the one meaning of what it means to me is like reclaiming, a reclaiming and like... um, doing away with of like some of that shame mm-hmm. um and then uh, the nuance of like women aren't they don't have to be defined by x y or z there's parts to us i love that <laughs> you know I, I i told you before that i struggled with naming this podcast because that term has so many different ways of being digested by people who hear it or come across it Um, from people who think it's exclusionary to people who think it's extremely gendered to people who think it's antiquated, but I kind of love that it evokes something. 
you know, mm-hmm. and not to be like, oh, I want to be the person to cause chaos, nothing like that. It's more so the label traditionally means the opposite, right? It's to not cause chaos. It's to not cause a fuss. It's like, oh, label it something nice and like quaint, like lady parts, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the anatomical names of like your vagina or what have you. Um, And for so long growing up in a uh, predominantly Christian household, it was like, we didn't talk about it. You know, those were your private parts. Those were things that like you just pretended didn't exist. And Mm. in that erasure of this core part of your anatomy and your sexuality, um, you know, like how is that erasing you as a person? How is it Mm -hmm. teaching you to other or hide certain aspects of yourself? So yeah, reclamation is really, um, reclamation and revolution (laughs) are really the key points uh, that made me want to stick with the name despite how, you know, some people might have negative connotations. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, love it. All right, Doa. So kind of staying with that theme of, you know, othering or having people kind of create labels for us and uh, just painting the picture for us of what we are and you know who we should be in society uh i kind of wanted to talk more about something i'd like to call the princess complex (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i don't know if you grew up on like this straight to the vein source of disney movies and romantic comedies and all of these boy meets girl type of things but Definitely. I grew up with something worse, <laughs> Bollywood. Oh my god, I can't lie though, I love a good Bollywood movie. <laughs> it's like it's such a double edged sword. There's mm-hmm. like these great romantic stories, and then they kind of instill you with this damsel in distress ideology. What do you think about this whole the girl needs to be saved or rescued or like? married (laughs) like that Mm -hmm. whole conversation so I'll preface it by saying that um I have been married and I'm divorced and now I'm single (laughs) um and it's only actually after my divorce that um I started basically realizing all of these things (laughs) Um, because I got married at 26 and Mm -hmm. in my culture, I might as well have been like 76, (laughs) like, um, yeah. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was so, so young. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the fact that I felt late, you know, um, not only like, not, not even just like on time when I, when I was actually early in my opinion, Mm -hmm. um, it's like, I felt late and, um, there's just so much pressure placed on, like, I think in in my culture, it's, it's like men, you know, need to become like a doctor or, um, you know it used to be like a doctor an engineer or a lawyer right those three Mm -hmm. options and the thing is like the world has so rapidly changed that those are really like random choices now (laughs) like (laughs) like you know like lawyers tend to have a lot of debt like uh I mean sorry 
doctors tend to have a lot of debt. Lawyers mm-hmm. tend to not be able to find jobs that easily. Like, you know, they're not like the most financially secure jobs anymore. Yeah. Um, they can be, but they're not the top. Um, and yeah, just the world that it, it's, and it's interesting in general because, um, because my, my parents came here in the seventies, I feel like they raised us in a, in sort of a time warp um, <laughs> because they were very strict and conservative in mm-hmm. certain ways. And um, now when I go back to Pakistan, like the kids that are being raised there are not that way. Like um, my cousin's daughters um, in Pakistan who are like in their late twenties, um, don't think that way actually because the world changed and so did Pakistan but the Pakistan that my parents brought with them to America mm-hmm. they kept that in our house <laughs> so that's what's really interesting is I was actually raised more conservatively than my nieces living in Pakistan mm-hmm. um, and um, definitely like this idea that if you don't make enough money and you can't support your family, then you're not going to be enough of a man. And if you don't get married or have children, then you're not going to be like a full woman. Um, I'm curious, like when, when is the ideal age to get married then? Pretty much the only excuse a woman has to not get married. Um, and, and I'm speaking from my experience. Of course. I know like, yeah, I think, um, I think this also differs like from family to family, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, even even my my niece's um, family in Pakistan, like they wouldn't necessarily have this definition, or other Pakistanis might not have it. But just my experience of the culture, um, pretty much the only excuse is uh, if you're in school. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're in college, you're good until you graduate when you graduate the the clock is turned on and it's ticking (laughs) um if you decide to do your master's they'll be like okay fine go ahead and do your master's (laughs) if you decide if you're really trying to run from it and you try to go to med school or try to do your phd that's okay that's acceptable but the second that you're not in school um and you're not married then there's a problem Mm. it's literally like a desperation where everyone's like calling each other like oh my daughter's not married please look for her please help us (laughs) yeah okay so I'm curious about uh like how the matchmaking process works I know you know I mean I told you I love me a Bollywood movie or two and generally I know that if folks of a certain age aren't married or don't have certain romantic prospects families might step in so did you experience any of that or yeah um matchmaking in my family is pretty much um it's pretty much like an online app except your parents are doing it for you instead of the app um where um either someone's calling them to say that hey um we really like your daughter and we have a son and sort of explaining more about their son and going from there mm-hmm. or some a, like a family friend calling and saying, Hey, I know someone who I think would be good for them or, um, and that's kind of how it goes. But um, 
usually it's just kind of a suggestion and then um I can like like when I was younger I think in my 20s that's what would happen basically um there would be all these like so it would be called like a proposal like so and so it's like it's very it's like gentle a gentleman caller basically <laughs> and I definitely gave my parents a hard time um I would say no a lot mm-hmm. before meeting people um and they were like, wow, you're so judgmental. <laughs> um, but there were certain just like pet peeves that I had. Um, I mean, I think we spoke earlier about, you know, the way people define themselves. That's not how I want to define myself. Um, and so it's like, whether I'm, whether my answer is like, I'm unemployed right now, <laughs> or I'm a chef, or I'm an artist, or I'm a doctor like uh, if it's if it has to do with my passion then that's important to me but otherwise it's kind of just random information in my opinion a lot of the times if a guy was a doctor that was a turnoff for me (laughs) and my parents were like what is wrong with you (laughs) you turn away all the quote-unquote good options um but I think it's just because I I understood that um basically like if you're a Pakistani doctor then you know you're considered top of some kind of weird pyramid and I didn't want to be on that list like I don't know I was just like no thank you <laughs> um or if I did speak to a doctor I'd be like hey just so you know like I do not care at all about like your status or your income So like, we can talk despite the fact that you're a doctor. And then that often wouldn't go well either. So so I definitely gave my parents a hard time. And the way that I ended up actually telling them about the person that I was dating, because I was planning on avoiding it for a while Mm -hmm. um, until I was sure, um, is that my, my mom brought up someone like she said, oh, there's this person. She told me a little bit of information about him and I told her I wasn't interested. When she asked me why, I actually did not have a good reason because we had gone through this for so many years of like my answers that would just piss them off. (laughs) And then this guy was actually like someone who they thought I would like. And I think on paper he was. So there was, I had, they had no good reason. (laughs) I had no good reason to give them. And so I like, basically panicked and I was like um I don't know I'm dating someone (laughs) she was like what (laughs) and yeah that's what happened there oh my goodness caught (laughs) (laughs) red-handed no I mean thank you for sharing that okay so in true Disney programming form you're telling me all of this and I'm just picturing like Beauty and the Beast, how like Belle is going through her town and she's like, oh, this provincial life. And then Gaston is like, quote unquote, perfect for the time frame. And she's like, nope, don't want that. I want to pick my own person. <laughs> yes. Gaston is like the Pakistani doctors. <laughs> okay, this is horrible though. I actually have friends that are like amazing people that are doctors. <laughs> but it's just that, it's just that. Uh... Yeah, man. I don't know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that that hero complex or whatever yeah yeah it's like um I don't know not it's not I want to say entitlement but that's not what I'm trying to get at it's just that like you said like that social pyramid right and being at the top and 
there's a sense of earned privilege, I suppose, which I, you know, to some extent I get it, but anyway, (laughs) the point is I can understand why you're like, I want more than that. I want more depth, not to say that those folks didn't have it, but I get why from a traditional standpoint, you were like, well, what else is there other than these choices that I'm, you know, used to seeing and these things that I'm told are what's best for me? Yeah, it's like just people um, deciding what your worth is based on some random thing that they decide. Mm-hmm. So if they decide that that's, doc- that's being a doctor, then okay, so now now that you're a doctor, you feel like you made it in life and then you're going to act a certain way because of it. Um, obviously not all, but um, it can be difficult to, you know, to like work that hard and then feel that you're trying to climb that ladder and then get there and then decide that you're not going to play that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me also, like, this is a whole, a whole nother <laughs> Pandora's box, but like, uh, skin color, um, you know, and the colonization of Pakistan, mm-hmm. like, um, and what that means, um, for a person's worth. And like, I rejected that also like my whole life. So, um, yeah, <sighs> definitely. Um, I, I can, I can understand that wholeheartedly. <laughs> Mm. um there's a lot of colorism in the black community overall but Mm -hmm. specifically in Jamaican culture Mm. um I don't know if you if you know about like the huge issue they have with skin bleaching over there but uh there's a lot of celebrities in Jamaica who have completely bleached their skin and non-celebrities too but it almost it raises you higher in terms of like social capital and like attractiveness and whatnot. And there's this, I don't know. I don't know if it's like colonization that brought it on or what it is because it's, it's prevalent across the world in communities of color, but it's to the point where it's stripping the melanin from folks skin and it's causing cancer. Mm. Um, And knowing this folks are still doing it because They'd rather take the risk and have the immediate reward of being more desirable in social settings, which could be the difference between, I don't know, getting, I mean, getting a date and not getting a date, but also certain jobs and other opportunities that might open up to them. But Mm -hmm. I don't know how we change this systemically when it's something so worldwide. Yeah, um... I, I took a course actually I read I read a couple of books um, about like colonization actually um, like in the islands mm-hmm. and stuff like that as well so definitely like there's one book that I really love it's called The Polished Hull um, but yeah it, the fact that you mentioned um, skin bleaching so that's a, also a thing for us but like we there's like this this cream what is it called uh fair and lovely Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the same one they have (laughs) yeah um and what's what's funny is that and it's changing slowly like too slowly but like um um if you look at brides sort of maybe from the 90s or earlier um culturally like the makeup artist would basically paint them white regardless of what their skin tone was they were probably using the same foundation shade for all of them um and then they look ridiculous because their hands are a different color (laughs) um and and 
and actually I got married in 2013 and I had um like a white American makeup artist mm-hmm. because I didn't want to deal with like those, those specific issues oh or whatever. God. And but what's sad is she actually asked me because she was aware. She was like, hey, just so I know, do you want me to use your foundation, like your your skin tone foundation? Because I know in your culture they go lighter. And I was like, really? Like oh I came to you. <laughs> like why? You know, so I was like, okay, definitely my skin tone. Um. <laughs> at least like I'm glad she acknowledged you know and she asked rather than just doing it mm. um mm-hmm. funny enough there was a woman from like Mary Kay Cosmetics and <laughs> I went to a bridal fair at the uh, venue where I ended up having my wedding and I met her there she seemed super nice so she was like yeah let's do like a, a party or whatever I think they called them parties it was like we were all going to get like a makeup trial. So I was like, okay. So I invited my bridesmaids and some of my closest friends and we were ready to do this trial. It was so bad. <laughs> like when I tell mm. you, my friend Cappy is like a dark skinned um, black woman, beautiful, like rich complexion. And it looked like she was in white face. I, yeah, <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> Oh, no. um so it was definitely a wake-up call uh trying to find an artist who was used to working with you know people of color but like matching them to their actual skin tones versus making them look ashy or making them like a couple shades lighter yeah and then um in korea they do the same mm-hmm. like but then they also do the hands oh really i didn't know they do the hands <laughs> yeah uh, wow so yeah man it, it, it really goes deep um and you know when I bring up like that I rejected that from childhood actually like I had the opposite experience from like a lot of my friends because um for a Pakistani I'm considered I guess light-skinned mm. um and so that came with like people complimenting me on my skin color and and then I had friends who you know were darker who were told you're beautiful but you're beautiful if accept that you know Mm -hmm. um or things like that and um and sort of like the resentment that they had um I grew up hearing it so much that I, I think very very early on like I don't I can't remember basically any time where I felt like I was beautiful because of my skin color. Whereas like, I think that's, that's something that probably should have happened based on what was, what I was Mm -hmm. hearing, but it never happened. I think because I had so many people around me with a different experience and I was always an empath. Um, And I just picked up on that very quickly that like, this is some bull. Um, and, and then I just like rejected it every time, like every time someone would, would tell me that I was beautiful or compliment that specific thing. Like, it just was like, okay, this is their, this is their ideology or, or I would try to, you know, and it, and it's so, you know, speaking of Bollywood, right? Like the, the programming is in everything, like, um, from the actresses that they choose to, um, the songs, 
you know, um, if you like really dive into the meaning of them and, and it's just really um, difficult to escape. And there's certain things that I'm learning even now, like um, my cousins, they told me that their mom told them growing up that they should drink more milk if they want to be white like me. You know, and like, I had no idea that, you know, that was happening or, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's painful. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Um, you know, I'm not going to use interesting because that's such an empty word. Everything can be interesting. It's so Mm. enlightening to hear your perspective Mm. on this and how, you know, growing up with a letter complexion in your community where that's um you know just heralded that you had never felt beautiful solely based on that because of your uh, your I don't want to say ability to be an empath but you're being an empath (laughs) um and how you pick up on how this affected other people I I also think it's so deep sorry to interrupt no 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 go ahead (laughs) um I think it's so deep that you met your boyfriend or you started dating when you guys were 12 <laughs> because I'm like, I can't, and, and I totally respect that you don't want to go into all the details because you guys are still together right? uh, and God preserve your relationship. But, um, you know, like I can't even imagine all the bullshit that you must have like had to deal with based on that. Like, I think if, if someone meets um, like an Indian or Pakistani mm-hmm maybe like in their 20s or 30s and they've kind of like worked through some of that stuff and you know decided what what they're going to stand up for and decided all that stuff I think that's a different place versus like as as a 12 year old a confused child like still in that ideology it's um that's a lot yeah I mean um (laughs) so much there (laughs) thank Mm. you for acknowledging that you know, there's things on my family side and his family side. And I, I, it's not that I dived into it because it's like too sensitive and I don't want to unpack it because I don't think it's fair for me to ask guests to open up and to be vulnerable if I'm not willing to contribute the same thing. Um, I just feel like it's going to take up so much space that it might be better suited for a future episode. So I think if anything, I might actually have him interview me for that because it'll be great to hear both sides of it um I love it yeah it was just it was it was it was a lot (laughs) it was a very eye-opening experience for us both but I think the great part about that amount of adversity so early in a relationship is that if you're able to withstand it it really tells you how much each person values it Um, because it would have been really easy for either one of us to walk away pretty early on (laughs) so much emotion there yeah I there's something that you mentioned too that really um, it really resonated with me I like my experience with family and the whole colorism thing I remember being really young maybe like eight or nine and being given um, bleaching cream for the first time. (laughs) Um, I think it was my grandma or my aunt or something, but they were like, hey, you know, I was at the store. I found this. I picked it up. Here, wear it. And it wasn't like a huge conversation. It wasn't some pivotal moment. It was very normal, um, which almost is more shocking 
in retrospect. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, I'd go to visit my grandparents in the summers in Jamaica and I would get like five shades darker because it's Jamaica. Um, so every time I would go, there'd be this big to do about grabbing the right products to make sure I wouldn't tan, it wouldn't get darker and making sure that I was indoors and like, it's summer, I'm a kid, you know, <laughs> on an island, I want to be on the beach, I want to be having fun, but I'm layering on all of these things to make sure that I'm not darker because that's unacceptable, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it's all love. It's not like it was vindictively done. I know that, but there's something internalized about you know, I can't, like, I'm not good enough, or I can't just be, because me just being normal, which might mean my skin getting a bit darker, or what have you, isn't okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And you said, you know, you'd never felt beautiful solely based on your skin tone. And I can say the same thing from a very different perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. I always got from people, whether it was family or strangers, oh, you're so pretty, but And the butt was usually attached to like, you're so dark or your skin, you know, like something like that. Um, Even into my adulthood, I've been told by like Uber drivers who like, I guess you didn't want a great rating. Um, (laughs) Oh, what are you? Are you, are you Dominican? Are you some kind of Spanish? And when I tell them I'm black, it's like, oh, you can't be just black. You're too pretty to be just black. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot, like I, I would always wonder um you know what if I was lighter what if I was like a different race but I was like a darker version of a different race and how does all that play out so constantly feeling like I'm not enough um it made me fight for that in my adulthood after a certain point I think literally like the turning point of my adulthood was literally like (laughs) post-surgery I started turning all that love and all that empathy inward and I was like it has to start here yeah, it's really in the in those subtle mm-hmm. moments that it starts to affect our self-worth when it's like uh, something as simple as like, oh, don't go into the sun, you'll get dark. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, like they don't mean it, but what, what it is, is it's, it's their, them having internalized mm-hmm. it and then they pass it on. And so like if, some, if no one kind of breaks mm-hmm. that um, and decides to say otherwise, then yeah. Completely. It's just... It's such a fragile house of cards, but um, I think, I mean, we started this whole conversation with dismantling, right? <laughs> like dismantling ideologies. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another way that um, as grown women, we're still dismantling things that were placed on us in our youth. Um, yeah. Oh, this conversation got so deep. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because all the things that I mentioned earlier about Pakistani culture is why I didn't feel very Pakistani growing mm-hmm. up. Like I always felt like, oh, I'm American. Like I was born here. I was raised here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and um, because a lot of what I understood about Pakistanis were, was like through that lens. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't, that doesn't relate to me or I don't understand that or that doesn't make sense to me. So therefore... Um, if someone would ask me like later, like in my, you know, uh, teens, um, where I was from, I would say I'm American. Um, and then if they asked more, then I would say like my parents are from where originally from Pakistan. (laughs) 
Um, so it, was, it wasn't like I was hiding my identity, but I, it was, I was also not claiming it. Yeah. Um, and, and what I found really interesting is that like, after going through all of that, um, about like maybe six months ago, um, with my therapist, we were doing some work and she told me like, I want you to make a list of, um, things about collectivist culture. She was like, you come from a collectivist culture and I want you to make a list of the, uh, the things that you like about it and the things that you don't, the things that resonate with you and the things that don't. And then you live in an individualistic society. And so make a list of the things that work for you, um, in that society and the things mm-hmm. that don't, and then kind of create your own, um, like who you are and what works for you. You know, you don't have to, be sticking to one. And when I made that list, it was the first time that I actually felt like, okay, like, I guess I'm both, (laughs) I guess, you know, because um, I found that I'm, I very much do resonate with collectivist culture. Um, It's funny, you mentioned a minute ago, like, people are like, oh, like, you know, where are you from? But you know then they really want to know like no but where's your family from and I've talked with my partner about this so much he hates that question <laughs> yeah it's an amazing yeah question. it's like where are you from no where are you really from <laughs> yeah it's like there are words for this if you guys you know purchase dictionaries like ethnicity is a word like you know heritage there's something so interesting about both that question and the tell me about yourself question because they Mm. it almost feels like there's some um malicious intentions built in in regard to not Mm. necessarily tell me about you or where your family's from or what have you tell me about how i should categorize and therefore treat you exactly And that's why I think like when, when the question's like, where are you from? I think my answer was like, I'm mm-hmm. American because it was like, don't try to tell me I don't belong here. If I tell you something mm. else. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Oh, I love talking to you. Um, <laughs> perfect. Okay. Um, so let's keep going. I know we've kind of talked about, you know, our experiences as like cisgendered women and like this whole romantic complex it's not even romance it's like the marriage complex right um and expectations around it so you told me or you told us rather about your ex-husband and kind of coming clean in the sense of you know your mom asked about a a possible suitor and you weren't interested but you couldn't figure out a good reason for that particular person so you let her know that you were seeing somebody what happened next I'm kind of curious about if your family was supportive and what the journey was at that point. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that we sort of um, have given some details a little bit about like the difficult parts of the journey. And I feel like we're just going to keep going that way. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, there there are some beautiful things about Pakistani culture too, I swear. <laughs> But but we're going to just go in on this episode and it is what it is. Um, um, so I think being raised around that and it's it wasn't really my parents, to be honest, because um, 
it, it was just like everyone, right? All of the um, the people that I was interacting with, it was just a part of the culture. Like any event that I would go to, there would be those mm-hmm. kind of questions or any, you know, so it just created this thing of like, like from a very young age, I was like, I need to stand up against people telling me that I'm beautiful because of my skin color, right? And so um, a, like a sort of a, how can I make things different, right? And that's, I think, one of the questions that you ask, like, where do we even put in change? Um, and for me, it was like to make different choices for myself because I knew that I am someone who had the courage to do that because I felt so moved mm-hmm. by it. Like, I think, and I think it's just because of my nature, like the fact that I'm INFP and like, you know, so many things like that. Um, whereas a lot of people have a lot of fear around those things or just don't feel comfortable standing up against status quo or um, so I was like, I'm not going to be what they want me to be and I'm not going to marry who they want me to marry. Um, so my ex-husband, his family is originally Bengali Mm -hmm. and when I told my family that I was dating him, um, they, they already knew him because he had come to my house before as a friend. You know, there's, there's one kind of racist where, where like, it's like KKK racism where like there will never be like a black person that enters their house mm-hmm. to eat dinner. And then there's another kind, which is way more prevalent and which people then can consider that, oh, I'm not racist because I had a black person <laughs> over for dinner. <laughs> I'm not racist mm-hmm. because I have a black friend. Right. Um, but, but that's all fine until your daughter wants to marry a black person, a Bengali person, it, you know, all of those things that um, were kind of fed to you by the colonizer mm-hmm. um, as being something. Yeah. Um, and so that was a, that was an issue in my house. Um, the amount of money he was making was an issue in my house. Um, my father had the mentality that like if a man doesn't make more than me then why would you get married Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and and you know I like my father is such a loving person and like has loved me Mm -hmm. so deeply um so like it's just that we're only able to love in the way that in however much we're able to know ourselves and know the world is how much we're able to like love I think in in ways that people need to be loved um so I don't fault it I think I think I took it as my responsibility like my family my parents decided to move here in the 70s so they could give me a future and I think like what the the future that they had in mind was you know maybe material success um, the ability to survive, you know, these things. But I think they ended up giving me way more than that, which was like the ability to question things, be curious about things, self-actualize, um, and like just have a greater capacity. Um, and then I think I felt like, 
okay, my father grew up around maybe like a limited perspective, but he brought me here where I had the opportunity to broaden my Mm -hmm. perspective. And so now that's my responsibility. That's what I owe him is like to be able to teach him basically and not just let it be like, oh, my father's uncomfortable. So I have to go with that. Like, no, he's not going to be held accountable for that because like he doesn't know or understand. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if I was given that understanding, I can't sit with that and allow that to happen. Um, So I think... Actually, that's something that um, I think played a part in things because I started dating him and then within a few months before we even knew if we wanted to get married, I think, or um, I ended up telling my parents that it ended up being a fight. Um, And it was a fight that I wasn't willing to let go of because it felt like yeah, I felt like something that I had that had been planted in me since since childhood. <laughs> you know, it was like I was I was fighting a war greater than myself. But like in the end, it's like, did we even know what we were fighting for? Like it it became something, or it wasn't even about our love anymore. Like this is not okay mm. for for that that this happens in so many places. I just was like, if we're gonna reject, if we're gonna decide, like this is not. Uh, this is not who I should marry. It's good. It's going to need to be based on something substantial. Yeah. It's going to need to be based on like his character or an incompatibility and not based on the amount of money he makes or where his family came from. Hmm. I, I mean, I think that's really bold. There's so much there. I mean, I know you said it was probably like, you said it's like two or three months before you guys were ready to um, start talking about marriage that you told all of this to your parents. Mm-hmm. So I know what it, I mean, thank you for sharing what it was like on your end, but how did his family react to you? So I was really nervous before I met his mom because um, I had this thing in my mind of like, I actually didn't think I was ever going to marry like a Pakistani Indian or Bengali Mm -hmm. period just because I was so fed up with um, certain things including like skin color Mm -hmm. talk Um, and so I literally had it in my head and like now that I'm thinking about it I'm like okay like (laughs) I was in my 20s that's what that was but um, I was like if she says something about my skin color it's gonna be a deal breaker for me (laughs) um I was that's like that's what I thought uh upon me because I was like oh they're Bengali so they're gonna have the same kind of mindset um I think like there was just this thing in my mind of like lighter skin being a trophy and I didn't want to be anyone's trophy I didn't want anyone I didn't want people to see me for that I wanted them to see me for what I am Mm -hmm. um and so I was just like running from it in weird ways. Like, I think now I would approach that differently. Like it, well, now I'm, I'm more comfortable in like having conversations and questioning things. And like, I think creating discomfort <laughs> and challenging mm-hmm. things. And so it wouldn't be that black and white. Um, but in my twenties, that was like a thing where I was like, Oh, what is she going to say? How's it going to go? <laughs> um, 
yeah so she didn't end up saying any of those things um they were actually fine with it and and there's a few things there i think also he's a man um you know i think my brother has more leeway to choose than i did yeah it wasn't it wasn't that same kind of fight in his family okay well i i know we've been talking a lot about like you know culture and family and everything but i want to reframe because i know that despite us prefacing this by saying that um this person is your ex-husband i don't want it to seem like the only reason you married him was to like rebel or to stand your ground for like these ideologies there was Mm -hmm. love there okay yeah um i just don't want to like you know diminish that aspect of it and have people take away that you know oh well she was just like being a revolutionary (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and I think I think I'm someone that like so so often questions myself and like um I I get curious about my decisions Mm -hmm. and about where they came from and about like um all that stuff that it can actually probably be confusing for a listener too like (laughs) yeah like I while I'm questioning myself you guys questioning myself you guys can question me too (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know you said that um, you and him were friends in college, right? I believe that's where you met. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that it was a, wasn't it like a family decision for y'all to get married or did he talk to your family? And so... Basically, we met in college when mm-hmm. we were just friends. Um, and it was a couple of years after. So after college, I actually moved to California for a year. And um, it was probably like one of the best years of my life because I was like learning. Um, I was learning Arabic and um I learned about like service and like I had a mentor and um, it was an amazing year, but um, at the same time I was alone Mm -hmm. in California. Um, And so um, thinking back, like it was also like a lonely year Um, when I was and the time, you know, due to the time difference and stuff, like there was only a few friends there were only a few friends from New York that I was still communicating with actively. Um, and he used to work night shift. Um, and so I think our friendship deepened while I was actually in California. Um, and then like, as I got to know him better, he was someone that would like Mm -hmm. always show up. Um, anything that like, I needed or anything that was you know he was just always willing to to be there um and then I started to just value him as a person more and um um value his friendship and then in 2011 we ended up meeting up at a conference and um his sister was there um so we, we ended up having lunch it was him uh his sister uh mm-hmm. me and my friend and um afterwards his sister said to um actually that same day um 
while we were having lunch, they went to the bathroom and my friend said to me, like, you guys have chemistry. <laughs> um, have you noticed? And um, I think I was already a little bit thinking about it, but I think I know myself as well that um, I can develop affection for people pretty quickly. And so I hadn't really like thought deeply about it. It's It's an important fight, you know, but I get how in the moment you might be more I don't know I don't want to say like more passionate about the fight than what you're fighting for but just how the fight mm-hmm. and the importance of the fight can eclipse other important aspects as well mm-hmm. exactly but then her saying it made me think okay maybe there is something and then that same evening um his sister said the same thing to him like what are you waiting for you should make move and he ended up sending me like this really whack um, text <laughs> message. <laughs> um, like we've been talking for so long and we've been so comfortable with each other. And like the, the topic of marriage had never really come up between us ever um, related to anything. Like not even obviously not about the two of us, but not even like me discussing marriage with others or anything with to him. Um, and so Uh, or married to others with him (laughs) and um he writes me this message like are you planning on getting married anytime soon okay (laughs) (laughs) um and um i was like oh i don't know um or he's he was like are you looking and um i said i'm not actively looking but if things happen they'll happen you know and then he said okay what are some things that you might be looking for you know if they happen um and so like I sent him this long obnoxious list as I am (laughs) um and he wrote back cool me too (laughs) and that was like the end of that conversation (laughs) oh my goodness um yeah and then I I thought about it later on and then eventually it started bothering me because I was like I need to know like what that was about um because we're friends and fair um, you know (laughs) if we're gonna continue a regular friendship like yeah what you know and so and so I told him I had a question for him he's like okay I can already guess what it's about I asked him about it and he said okay yeah I I did um I did ask you because I'm interested, but I'm also scared. <laughs> so that's why I left it there. And I don't want to like um, ruin mm-hmm. our friendship. Um, and so, you know, that, that's basically where it is. And so I told him, well, I'm willing to like see, you know, I'm willing to get to know each other on that level and see if, we think it would even be a good idea to like go down that trajectory or not because like we've never really even talked yeah. about these things before um the first date actually was very like more so friendly um where i didn't necessarily see mm-hmm. chemistry there and then i let him know that like i was like hey i don't know if we're going to be able to actually make that transition from friend to something else because we're so friendly with each other and then I think he made like a mission to do that. So then the second time he like brought all his games. <laughs> like challenge accepted. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. He was like, oh, I was being respectful. All right. Um, I can be charming. 
And then I think the second date went better. And then slowly, slowly, the more I got to know him, um, the more I thought it would work between hmm. us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, so that's something that's interesting. Yeah. Like it, that's how I basically went through the process of like finding someone to marry my whole life. It's like, will it work? Right. Asking them these questions, seeing like, okay, what, what do we have in common? What do we not have in common? Um, and so I think that happened mm-hmm. for me first. And then I felt like it was worthwhile to go down. And then like a, a little while after I started to like actually like develop feelings. There's something so like lovely about being friends first. I feel mm-hmm. like we're, we're just living in a time of just instant gratification with everything and people are inherently impatient and I get it like I want Amazon Prime shipping too um (laughs) but Mm -hmm. when you're cultivating like a partnership and something that you want to last long term and you're taking your time and um you're getting to know the person first like on a friendship level it's like I don't know there's like just much there's a lot more beauty there because it feels like you're Mm -hmm really building a foundation not to like okay that sounds bad not to knock anyone who is in an arranged marriage that's not what I mean um I just mean that you know in a time when there's shows like The Bachelor or (laughs) um who wants to marry my dad and all these other things that just like kind of um rush through the process um yeah fast food yeah (laughs) drive through (laughs) weddings um it's just nice Mm -hmm. like it's there's something warm if you will about um starting there and I guess just to add more context I as I mentioned I watch a lot of Hollywood movies I love them Uh, (laughs) and I do think there's also this it's not unexplored it's just I don't see it as much in like American movies or shows unless it's some sort of strange like sideline thing or what have you um but there's something really beautiful about arranged marriages as well and no not um what is that show not married at first sight (laughs) but yeah I've been to a couple weddings or I don't know like yeah yeah weddings um where there's that moment when they see each other like at, like for the weddings that I've been to it's like they see each other for the first time at the ceremony and I was like oh my god like I, I think I went to the first one when I was like a kid I was like, wow I've oh my god I gotta find out like what the cultural background was I'll ask my mom it was her friend's wedding and I had mm. to ask um the bride's family what was happening the whole time because the service wasn't in English and I couldn't understand but um yeah I think it was the bride's sister who was telling me she was explaining that you know they they are walking on different sides of this partition and when they get to the front they meet each other for the first time with their families um or like their parents rather standing behind them um and their parents are not just in this context giving the children to each other to get married but they're accepting the whole family so it's very symbolic and beautiful and the idea Mm -hmm. that your family being like one of the most important parts of your life um, is already interwoven with this other familial unit and they're accepting you and you know this huge part of your life at that moment it's just it was gorgeous it was I I loved it so much (laughs) 
funny that you mentioned the partition because actually my ex-husband's mother had mm. wanted that for our wedding. Um, she was like, oh, like, you know, you guys will stand in between a partition and then we'll lift it. And I was so confused by that. I was like, you did it for two years. <laughs> like, like this is, this is a show. Like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, but I actually realized I didn't answer fully answer one of the questions you asked me earlier about um about my marriage process. So so I, I ended at um like I guess our personal journey, but then like how I like how I introduced him to my family and all that stuff. Um so after after I told my mom that we were dating, it was a whole lot of just like arguing in my house um for a long time about it. Um being told I, I'm not allowed to see him, all this stuff, which um, I was still doing. Um, and then at some point, actually, I didn't speak to my father for months, wow. for several months, um, living in the same house. Um, and then I ended up writing him a very mm-hmm. long letter. Um, like, I don't know, it was probably like wow. 13 pages. <laughs> Um, yeah, and sort of just like explaining um, where I was coming from with things like um, explaining that, you know, me making my own choice wasn't mm-hmm. a slap in the face, you know, or, you know, I didn't mean it disrespectfully, but this is kind of what went into my decision. And like, um, you know, I told him like he's family oriented. I feel like he's gonna take care of you guys when you're older. And like, you know, there's a lot of things like, um, you know, and I told him like how much I love him and how much I value him and everything that he did for mm-hmm. me and all that stuff. And um, and I think just like had a different tone than like my smartass tone that I had been arguing with them for <laughs> for, for months, like, um. Like, you're wrong, you're ignorant, you're racist, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, you know, probably not a great way to win an argument. And um, I think within like a day or two of my dad reading that letter, um, he came to me and like gave me a hug and he was crying. Mm. He apologized. How did that feel? Um, oh, we were both crying. Um, yeah, I think when I was a kid, my father, like, pretty mm-hmm. much never cried. And then, like, now he's, like, pretty much like, a ball of mush. <laughs> you tenderized um, him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful because, um, I think there's a lot, you know, thing if we really get into it like the toxic masculinity like I mean I think that's something that exists in like every culture pretty much but you know I think Pakistanis also have it and um, yeah and I think I think like despite a lot of things that were harder for my dad to accept um, just because I think he didn't have to deal with those things in his journey I think he also like there's a lot that he has stood up for Mm -hmm. for sure you know um like I'm proud of who he is I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation with Dua Rahman 
Um, As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this conversation has been split up into three different parts. So if you're interested in hearing more, going deeper into Dua's marriage, um, what led up to the divorce, and her journey back to self-love, Um, please feel free to tune in to future episodes. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, what are you waiting for? I invite you to subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you listen to podcasts. But thank you for coming on this journey. I hope to see you again soon. And once more, remember to embrace all your parts. Goodbye. Goodbye.